welcome. We're glad that you're here today. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online. So glad that you could be here in warm, sunny Florida to be a part of the services today. I was talking to a guy in the last service, and he had on a short sleeve shirt this morning when I came in. And I've got on a, a wool coat and a, and a sweater and a long sleeve shirt. And I looked at him and I said, can't afford cable? Don't have, don't have the weather channel? And he said, I'm from Pennsylvania. I said, oh, okay, enough said. So we have a lot of snowbirds, and some of them just now getting back. They said, hey, we were here uh, two years ago. We couldn't come last year because of COVID, but we're here today, and we're so glad to be back. And uh, some of them had come in earlier in the year. Others are still coming in. But anyway, we're glad that you're here wherever you're from, and we're glad that you're here whenever you come. So, And I made a little rhyme. Didn't even try to do that, didn't I? But we've talked about starting point. Everything has a starting point in life. And so what, what about your faith? Do you ever think about your faith having a starting point? Many of us grew up in the church. We grew up in a Christian home. Our parents taught us about God. They said, you know, God is good. You can talk to God. You can pray to God. You can spend time with God. They taught us things from the Bible. We learned them from our pastors and different people. And then when we got a little bit older and we became adults, some of the things we learned as children didn't seem to always match up with what we see as adults. We learned that God loves all the little children, all the children of the world, and he does. But sometimes we saw other children who didn't seem like they were loved as much. Sometimes they felt left out. Sometimes they, they were in poverty. Sometimes they were struggling. And so we were just trying to wrap our brains around that and understand it. The discrepancy between what we were taught as children and what we believe as adults. And in this series, I want to ask this question. What would it look like for you to start over in your faith? If you could push the restart button, or the start button for that matter, and become a Christian as an adult, what would it be like? You see, it's different becoming a Christian when you're a child and then doing that as an adult. It's a different thing. And maybe, maybe because of this discrepancy as an adult, you need to push restart today. <clears throat> now, I hope you're here every week because these messages kind of build on each one. This is the third message in the series. If you missed the first two, you can go online and pick up the other two messages, and it all kind of comes together. You know, it's, it's not finished when you leave today, but there's more that we're going to be looking at. Each week, we're going to grow through that. Now, the three largest faith traditions all have the same starting point. Did you know that? Did you realize that? Islam, Christianity, and Judaism all had the same starting point. All three of those traditions, the faith traditions, believe that God created this wonderful world and then we came along and messed it up. Although these faith traditions differ in redemption and how that takes place, we all agree that we've messed up what God started. And last week we talked about the fact that we are sinners, not mistakers, right? We said that there's a new word out now. Instead of saying, I sinned, people get on television and say, I made a mistake. I made it for four years, but it was a mistake. Well, no, no, that's not a mistake. That's sin. And so we need to call it that because if you're a mistaker, all you have to do is say, well, I'm sorry I made a mistake, and, and that's all there is to it. But if you and I are sinners, 
then we've got to ask for God's forgiveness so that we can be restored to relationship with him. And that's what he wants to do for us, but he's waiting for us to ask. And so we need God. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Mistakers can take care of this. Sinners cannot. So all the faith traditions started off good. God created the world, and then we made decisions that messed everything up. And the major traditions all come around one single man. Did you know that? They all come around Abraham. Father Abraham, the founder of our faith, and God began to intersect with humankind through this man, Abraham. He was talking about the problem of sin and disobedience and corruption. And the reason that we want to talk about this is because there's a conversion recorded in the book of Genesis, a conversation, I'm sorry, in the book of Genesis between God and Abraham. And this is the question that really all people are asking, especially if they don't know God, and this is what Abraham was wanting to know. Is there a God? Well, how am I doing with God if there is one? Where do I stand with God? Can God hear my prayers? Does God really care about me? Can I ever know what it means to be a follower of God? Can I have peace in my lifetime? Can I have security about my future? How do I know where I stand with God? That's one of the most common questions that people ask today and, and have for years is, how are things with God and me? How, what does God think about me? What, what kind of relationship can we have? So basically, Abraham's more than a historical figure, and I want to help you understand the dilemma that God had with what was going on in the world today and how he, he came to this man, Abraham, and he decided to choose Abraham to accomplish some things. The world had gotten so chaotic, and he realized that sin had taken hold of humanity, so God had a decision to make. Do I find a starting point to clean up this mess, or do I just start all over again? Have you ever made such a mess of your life that you wonder if you can start again? How do I, where do I even begin? What do I do? I remember I was the oldest of four kids, and my younger brother and sisters, I had to watch them a lot. And so when, when they were growing up, you know, and little, what do kids do? Well, they do a lot of things, but, but these particular siblings of mine made a mess. That's what they did. They would take the books. They had books in the bookshelf, and they had two shelves, and they would take all the books out in the floor. That was a fun activity for them. They liked that because gravity would just take over. Whoop, whoop. And the books would go on the floor, and then yours truly would pick up the books, and what would they do? They would throw them back in the floor again. But I'm not bitter. We've gotten over it. It's years ago. But we can move forward now. Well, now listen, here's what happens. You and I make a mess of our lives, and we don't even know where to start. When you're a kid, you're overwhelmed. How can I? I've got to clean my room. How could I ever clean my room, right? Well, that's kind of the way we are with God. How can I ever clean this mess up that I've made? And we wonder what God is thinking about us in the midst of that. And so we turn to God and we say, what can I do? And so how, how do I deal with this? And so here's what we think. We think that God looks at us and goes, 
Okay, look at this big mess you've made. Clean that up and then come talk to me. We'll get together, right? Because that's what I would say to my siblings. Clean that up and then you can live again. Otherwise, there's not going to be any more oxygen for you on this planet, okay? And, and that's the way we think, right? But that's not the way God is. And if you think that way, I've got some good news for you today. Because God actually decides to wade into this big mess that we've made and to correct things. And way back, way, way back, God interpreted humanity and chose, interrupted humanity and chose Abraham. He picked Abraham as a starting point to make a difference on this planet. And it's interesting because Abraham was a normal guy. Now, here's what everybody thinks. I'm reading about biblical characters, so they're all biblical, right? They're all special. They're all, you know, so superhuman, right? No. They're just normal people that God took and used so that his glory might be seen through them because people looked at them and said, well, no, it's not something they did. That's something God did through them, and they could see that. So I want you to, I want you to embrace that today. I want you to say, God uses normal people. Turn to the person next to you and tell them that right now, okay? Yeah, in fact... In fact, Abraham had some real issues. One time he was going through Egypt. He was with his wife, Sarah, and she was young and beautiful. And as they were going through, some of Pharaoh's people saw Sarah, and she was beautiful. And so they told Pharaoh about her, and Pharaoh saw her, and he said, I want her. Now, you got to understand the way things worked back then, okay? That's what would happen. They would just say, I want her. Go get her for me. And, you know, he's the Pharaoh. He's in charge, and that could happen. So they went to Abraham, and they said, is this your wife? And Abraham's thinking. The wheels are turning. Okay, if I tell them that Sarah's my wife, then they're liable to take my life and take my wife. So here's what this courageous man of God said. She's not really my wife. She's my sister. Here, go ahead. You can have her, right? This is this special guy in the Bible, Father Abraham. This is what he said. Save my life. Take my wife. Really, it's okay. Now, if you think you've got loyalty issues in your relationship, this guy, this guy took it to a new level, didn't he? And the rest of the story is fascinating. Read it for yourselves because there were all kinds of problems and all kinds of issues. But he was just a normal guy, but God used him anyway. So God picks this imperfect Abraham, and this is what he says to him in Genesis 12:1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, he says. And, and so that's what's going to happen there, okay? So that's what he tells him to do. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to realize what it's like. In those days, everybody in a family lived in the same area. You had generation after generation after generation. So you didn't have to travel to see the grandchildren. They were right there, right? And you could spend time with everybody. You could see, and you could get together. We had so much fun in our family, our extended family, Thanksgiving. And we turned around and got to do some more of that, uh, Christmas and then New Year's. And it's neat to be able to do that. But he's saying to Abraham, okay, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family. I want you and Sarah. And by the way, they don't have any kids. It's not like they can take their kids and their grandkids. They don't have any. 
I want y'all to go to a new place. And I'm not really going to tell you where it is. I just want you to trust me and go, and, and I'll show you where it is. And we'll get there together, and I'm going to use you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless other people because of you. Now, I want you to think about that today. What if God came to you, and all you've ever known is Panama City Beach, and all your extended family lives right here, and God says, you know what? I'm going to do something special through you. But you're going to have to do it my way, and you're going to have to leave here, leave everything you know, leave everything that's familiar, leave all your network and support. I want you to leave all of that, and I'm going to do something special through you. What would that be like? For some of you, that would be difficult. That would be hard to do. This is all you've ever known. You know, God called me. I grew up in Tennessee. Laura and I are from Tennessee. God called us, and he brought us down here to this conference, Alabama, West Florida, the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. We didn't know. We weren't smart enough to know. And we, we had to leave. We couldn't be there with family all the time. We couldn't even be there on holidays a lot of times. But what an adventure it's been. What a, what a wonderful opportunity to be in ministry and to meet all the people and to see all the things that God has done and just to witness. I look back and I think about that all the time. And so you just have to trust God and do it, to step out. You, you know, you can apply that to anything in your life, but, but that's what he had to do. He had to leave and go to a new place, and he had to start all over again. And Abraham is starting into something new, and it's going to affect the whole world, and God has chosen him to be somebody special. And then he made Abraham three interesting promises. And if you want to take your phone and make these little promises down there scriptural, you can go back and read them later. You can look at them, think about them, ponder them. You know, you want to write them down or something, but here they are. He made Abraham three interesting points. The first thing he says in Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now listen to the three promises that God made to Abraham, and they're recorded in the book of Genesis. First, he says, I will make you a great nation. That's number one. I will make you a great nation. The nation of Israel said then, we're that great nation. But the Arab nation said, no, we are those great nations, right? And there's an argument over which nation God was talking to when that took place. And, and so they argue and they don't agree on that. But those many nations all come together and they say one thing, it all goes back to Abraham. All three of them together believe that. The promise of God of Abraham made almost 4,000 years ago absolutely came true. Another interesting thing about the promise is that it's going to deal with sin and disobedience and corruption in the world. And yet he started with a man and said, I'm going to make you a great nation, which means first, I got to make you a family before I can make you a nation. You don't even have children. You don't have grandchildren. You don't have great grandchildren. It's going to take a while, okay? This is not, and Abraham could have said, um, you know, that's going to take a while. Could we speed that process up a little bit? Because it's going to take a while for me to have a family, much less a nation. It would be like calling 911 and saying, we have an emergency. We need your help. Come quickly. And them saying, okay, let us rebuild the engine. And then we'll be right there. Stay by the phone. It'll happen eventually, okay? 
And God had a problem on his hands. And he picks this man and he says, one day you're going to be a great nation. And through you, I'm going to bless so many people. I'm going to do something significant in the world. Listen to what else he promises. This is promise number two. Not only are you going to be a great nation, but he said, I will bless you and I will make your name great. So you're going to, you're going to be a great nation and you're going to have a great name. People are going to know you. It's going to be amazing. I want to do a survey this morning and everybody has to participate. So if the person next to you is asleep, wake them up. They got to participate. Okay. Here's the question I want to ask you, and I'm serious. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you know about Abraham in the Bible? You've heard of Abraham before. How many of you know that? What's wrong with the rest of you pagans? Hmm? Are you just nodding off? Really? I mean, look around the room. Most people know who Abraham is in the Bible, right? Okay, what about this other guy, Ketelomer? How many of you have ever heard of Ketelomer, a person of interest, a famous person? You don't know Ketelomer? What's wrong with y'all? You don't get out much, do you? Okay, well, let me tell you about Ketelomer. Ketelomer was this famous king. He was, he was well known by every, during the time of Abraham, everybody knew Ketelomer, really. And, and he was the king over, say it with me. You don't know, do you? He was the king over Elam. Oh, yeah, of course, right, Elam. Yeah, I knew that. And, and can you go to Elam today? No, you can't because Elam's not there anymore. The dirt's there, but it's not Elam anymore, okay? Now, here's what I want you to realize. Here's this guy, Abraham, that's a nobody. Nobody knows Abraham, but everybody in the known world around that area, they know Ketelomer, King Ketelomer. Everybody knows King Ketelomer. And so what happens is that, that what you see take place is that God says to a nobody, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great name. And he says to King Ketelomer, sorry. <laughs> And today, nobody remembers this guy who was famous. Nobody remembers. He was in power. He had authority. He was somebody. Abraham was nobody. Now, God changed all of that. He reversed that, didn't he? 4,000 years later, halfway around the world, in a different language, in a different culture, everybody in the room says, yeah, we know who Abraham is. We're familiar with him. Isn't that amazing? And then the third promise that he makes is not only are you going to be a great nation, not only are you going to be a great name, but he says all the peoples on the earth are going to be blessed through you. That's the third promise that he makes. All the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Not one people, but all the peoples. All the different people groups in the world are going to be blessed by you. And the amazing thing is that Abraham's getting older and he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless you. And Abraham's an old man and he's thinking to himself, I'm old and Sarah's old and I don't have any children. What's going to happen here? And he begins to wonder what's going to happen to what he has when he dies. Where's my estate going to go? Because you always give that to your kids, right? And especially in those days. And so he's wondering to himself, is Eliezer going to take all that I have? Is he the one that's going to be left to? Eliezer was his chief servant. It was the guy who worked for him. And that was the rule. You know, if you didn't have any kids, that's who it went to. And, and so he's praying one night in desperation. And God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 15, 4 and 5. And this is what he said. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own 
flesh and blood will be your heir. In other words, Abraham, don't worry. You're going to have a real flesh and blood son. Just trust me. And then he says this. He takes him outside. And he said, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being Abraham and talking to God? And God saying, come here, I want to show you something. Now look up there. Look at the sky. Look at all the stars up in the sky right now. Now, that's the way your descendants are going to be. You can't even count the stars. That's how many descendants you're going to have through your lineage. And you don't even have kids yet. Can you imagine what that would be? He said, but you got to trust me, Abraham. You got to trust me. Do you trust me? Can you believe that? And then something amazing happens. The writer of Genesis makes a statement so powerful and personal that for the very first time in recorded history, it states the nature of the relationship between God and man. This is the culture. This is what Christians and Muslims and Jews all go into three different directions at this point. This is hundreds of years before the Ten Commandments. This is before the law. This is 2,600 years before Islam. This is 2,000 years before Jesus. This is before Moses. And in Genesis 15, 6, it says this, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. In other words, there is no evidence that I'm even going to have children, but God, if you say that I'm going to have as many descendants as the stars, I believe you. Would you have that kind of faith to believe in that? And Abraham believed the Lord, even with no children. And he says, all your descendants, it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to work through you. And Abraham says, I trust you, Lord. A solitary single expression of faith God credited to Abraham. And he said, you are in right standing with me. Why? Because he trusted God. He trusted him. He says, I'm giving you the gift of right standing because you trust me enough to act on my word. Another way of saying this is trust in God resulted in right standing with God. Now listen, God still calls people today. And he calls you and me and he calls us to do things we don't want to do. And he calls us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. He calls us to do things sometimes to leave and to go somewhere else. He calls us to do things that we couldn't possibly do without his help. And he says, if you'll trust me, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless other people through you if you will be obedient. It takes faith. It takes trust. And here's the interesting thing. The Jewish people would say, now we, we have right standing with God because we are descendants of Abraham. We're God's chosen people. And they are God's chosen people. That's true. And by the time Jesus shows up and he's talking to them, they say, well, you know, we don't need to do that. We don't need to, to follow you because we are Abraham's descendants, his sons and daughters. And that's good enough. We are already right with God. And then years would go by, 620-something A.D., after Jesus uh, comes along, the prophet Muhammad would say, no, the way to be in right standing with God is that you must believe in the one true God who is Allah. And then based on what you do and the way that you act, you can become righteous. And at the end of your life, by your good works, They'll be measured against your bad. And Allah will determine if you are righteous enough and, and you can live with him till the end. Now, it, it's all about 
what you believe, and it's, it's what about what you do that counts. That's the approach that he's taken. And then 30 minutes after Jesus leaves the earth, the Christians started arguing about what was the right thing to do. One group said, well, the people have to become Jewish and they have to be circumcised. That's the only way to follow God. And they're going, and they've got, they've got to live by the whole law of Moses. And another group said, they don't have to follow the law of Moses. They don't even know the law of Moses. How could that ever work? And another group said, I think all you have to do is believe. And they said, oh, no, no. Believing is too difficult. That will never work. And right all the way through the Reformation, the church has been split over this issue. How do you have right standing with God? And then God says, you're approved. I love you. You're fine. How do you get to that place? 4,000 years ago, before these religions existed, they, before people considered themselves Jewish or Muslim or Christian, God revealed to Abraham a secret. Now, this is the payoff right here, okay? This is when you need to sit up and pay attention. This is when it, I'm going to give the answer right here. You ready? Okay, here's what I want you to hear. God said, the way you enter a relationship with me, the way where I call you righteous, is not through your behavior. Whew, I feel so much better already. Debbie feels better because she's skipping ahead in those devotionals there. I mean, she's not reading the whole thing, but she's reading part of it, okay? And, you know, you can get in trouble for that kind of stuff, right? And so what happens? He says, no, no, no. It's simple. Just trust. Just trust. Just trust. Will you trust me? And that's the question that God's asking you today. Now, maybe you've answered that question before many times. Maybe you're at a place where you're wanting to restart. Maybe you've never started. But here's the point. It doesn't matter where you are. God's always asking you that question. Will you trust me? Now, listen, if you trust, you've got to act. If you, don't, if you don't do it, you don't really trust it, do you? But if you trust, then you will do it. What will you do? Will you do what Abraham did? Will you believe what he said is true, what God says is true, and what he promises he will do? And it made it so simple, and I believe it's so clear for us. The starting point for a relationship with God is, everybody say, trust. That's right. It's trust. God decided to pick an unrighteous man and connect him in a personal way, and it requires that of us to say, God, I trust you. That's it. Now, it's hard because we've grown up, and, and we've read all these things, and we've seen all these things, and we've believed all these things. Well, how could that possibly offer me an unconditional relationship with God where he loves me and accepts me based on trust? Is that possible? Back in the pre-Christian, pre-Jewish, pre-Islam days, God said to Abraham, I declare you righteous because you trusted me. Because you trusted me. Okay, so here's your homework. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. This is where we're going to stop today. I want you to ask yourself this. Which of the following best reflects my view and why? Okay, you ready? Number one, <clears throat> God accepts me based on my birth. That's the first one. That's what I want you to answer for yourself. God accepts me based on my birth. Second, God accepts me based on my behavior. God accepts me based on my birth. God accepts me based on my behavior. Third, God accepts me based on what I believe. Now, are you going to pick one of those? Is it going to be a two combo, a three combo? Which one of those things best describes where you are with God? And then next week, we're going to come back and pick up the discussion right there. Let's pray. Father, 
thank you that we can be in right standing with you and it comes through trust alone. Give us the courage to lean into that truth. Father, for those who are gathered here today wondering if you even care, I pray that they will ask you for help. And when they end up in a mess of their own making, I pray that they will take the words that you have spoken today and plant them deep in their hearts. I pray that they would know that you care for them more than they could possibly comprehend. God, give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard and the courage to do it. And we pray this all together. All God's children said, Amen.